Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. Happy holidays, everybody. We are still talking about the NBA, which is crackling, even though it's bowl season. Uh, joining us from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, where he just saw, by the way, it's um, Wednesday afternoon for Mr. Bontemps, uh, Wednesday morning for me. And Mr. Bontemps, you were at the Clippers-Raptors game. Uh, you are in Toronto for this week. Hello, Mr. Tim Bontemps. Hello. Before we started the podcast, McMahon asked me, is that a river next to Toronto? And I said, no, that's a great lake. So it shows you where, <laughs> shows you where we're at with geography class. It's a great, it's a great. I, listen, lake. I didn't know they had lakes in Canada. That's, <laughs> that's our man from Texas, Ben McMahon. Howdy partners and mahalo. Before we, uh, how's that for some ma- culture? Well, mahalo means thank you. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, Bontemps, real quick, before we talk about the game that McMahon was at Tuesday night, which may or may not have been uh, seen by our average NBA fans, um, I was reading about the game you were at where the Clippers have been playing better, uh, got the win, and it said mm-hmm. that Norm Powell picked up his championship ring. That was what it said in there. Do you know, about, did he, he really not had his championship ring until now? I uh, I didn't talk to Norm last night because I was doing some other interviews, but I believe it was at his place here. But he hadn't he just hadn't been to his place here. He just I don't believe yeah, I don't think he'd been home because he got traded. Um he got traded during the season when they were in Tampa and he hadn't played a game here since I think February of twenty twenty, because they went on a long road trip before ah, that's the right. pandemic. Okay. And then he they played in Tampa after the bubble and then he got traded. So this is the well, first time he'd been back here since then. I, I wouldn't call it his home then. It's a uh, uh, I was gonna say uh, still so has a place there. <laughs> well, hopefully yeah, it's an whatever. Airbnb or something. <laughs> I mean, not maybe, maybe the Raptors had it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. Maybe the Raptors had it. I'm not sure. But I, it's, okay. it's it seemed like he got it from his place. OK, good. That makes more sense to me that he. OK. All right. Never mind. Moving onward. McMahon, what happened in Dallas last night? Can I just say that? Luca's performance, like. It'll be one of those games that people always remember. And that's what we're going to talk about. But like, had the Knicks won that game, it would have been like this amazingly awesome win for the Knicks. Oh. Um, Jalen Brunson was out in his return game because of a sore hip. Uh, how far into the game did R.J. Barrett hurt his finger? I believe it was a minute and 36 seconds. Okay. A little so less than two minutes. He's now going to be out for a number of games here. So he goes out. The Knicks play this tremendous game. They're on a losing streak. They need this win. They're absorbing already a big game from Luca. I want you to describe to me the moment in the in the arena because Sports Center replayed it about thirteen times, and about the sound in the building. If you could just before we talk about the overall performance, the sound and everything in the building when he made that put back leaner runner, not runner, whatever it was, to force overtime. Yeah, and so. Before that, before he ma- he makes that, I'm sitting here thinking, "Oh my God, this guy is going to have a 50 point triple double and lose and lose." You know, which has happened before, but uh, in NBA history, there have been 14 previous 50 point triple doubles. Those guys were 13 and one in those games. It was about to be 13 and two. And like, how often do you see? First of all, the fact that they were down nine with 30 seconds left. Oh, and 13,884 in the final 35 seconds. Teams <laughs> I saw you repeat that. Can you, can, you, can you repeat that again, please, for the listeners, just to emphasize that? Zero. This is over the last 20 years. And people say, what about the TMAC game? Apparently, they were down eight. Zero and one, three, eight, eight, four. 13,884 over the last 20 years. Well, the Mavericks turned that zero into a one. Because Luka Doncic misses the free throw intentionally. And JaVel McGee, who had just checked into the game for the first time, specifically to try to somehow come up with a rebound on this, 
He's got two guys on him. You know, he's creating basically havoc under there. You know, Christian Wood's able to get a hand on it, goes off the hand of another Nick. Luca jumps up as high as he can, so almost like six inches in the air, <laughs> grabs the ball, and before he hits the ground, just like flips it up. It goes in. He does this barrel roll. He gets up and starts chopping his feet and waving his hands and doing this wild ass dance. He looked like my five year old son at his birthday party a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it looked, like like Honda, it looked like the E Honda a thousand hand slap from Street Fighter. That was what and I there's was. a there's a classic picture of, of Luca doing this wild dance and Tibbs is behind him with that Tibbs. <laughs> anyway, so uh, there's a second left on the clock. The Knicks miss their, you know, their prayer, and Luca just storms to the other side of the court. He's got the biggest smile I've ever seen. He's he was so happy. Like, he's waving to the crowd, and he admitted after the game, he's like, "I thought we'd won the game." He just got lost in the moment. Obviously, he knew the situation <laughs> when Smith, he missed the free throw. J.R. Smith <laughs> avenged. Well, he he was smart enough to miss the free throw. So he knew the situation when he missed All the free right. throw. But after he made it, he just got so caught up. And what a miracle this was. And holy right. crap. Um, by the way, that gave him 53 points, which tied the franchise record. He got so caught up in the moment, he'd forgotten. No, that just tied it up. He was <laughs> celebrating a victory. And then he realizes that, uh, whoa, there's overtime. As, as he said, the thought that crossed his mind at that point was oof, because this is a dude who he rested four seconds in the second half, the final four seconds of overtime. And then he rested oh. again, the, the last, I'm sorry, the final four seconds of the third quarter. Oh. And then he rested the final eight seconds of overtime. So, but you know he goes on and and over you know he hits one of those it was right by the Dirk silhouette one of those off dribble Dirk one leggers uh, knocks down his free throws and over they go on a win he ends up with you know the numbers now sixty points twenty one rebounds ten assists the first sixty twenty ten game in NBA history you know I mentioned I asked Luke about his numbers and he goes two steals one block. A jump ball too. <laughs> he always wants the steals and blocks. Well, he always know, wants the steals and blocks. But it was, I mean, it was. He he did get five extra minutes of overtime to achieve those numbers. But okay, sorry. At, at the end of regulation, he was only fifty three, eighteen, and ten. <laughs> I agree, but I, just just to point that out, uh, you know. But so this there's. I never thought I would see a more memorable regular season performance than Russell Westbrook's. Uh, and I, I'm talking about yes. live. Then Russell Westbrook's big O record-breaking triple-double. And that, if you'll remember, that was the game where it's in Denver. He gets and the one in the MVP. The one in the MVP. And he scored the last 13 points as the Thunder pull off this crazy comeback to get to 50 points and hits a buzzer beater from pretty close to half court that eliminated the Nuggets from the playoff and the Pepsi Center crowd still just oh, instantaneously goes into this standing <laughs> ovation. I never thought I would see a more memorable game than that. Man, this one ranks right up there. And <laughs> Luca in the in the post-game uh, interview on, on the court with Skin Wade of, uh, of the Mavs broadcast, also this week's guest on Howdy Partners, uh, the hit YouTube show, uh, <laughs> Luca says... <laughs> He Bravo. says, he says, as it was smooth. He says, I'm tired as hell. And he goes, I need a recovery beer. <laughs> so he had, he had a recovery beer before he did uh, his media availability. And, and my guess is he had, you know, several afterwards he, and he damn sure earned them. The, before you go, Bon Temps, the rebound that Luca gets there, uh, is first off, it's a friendly fire rebound from the Knicks. It reminded me just a killer. So if you're a Knicks, person. so much of the Ray Allen shot, where um, just slightly lower stakes, <laughs> slightly lower stakes. A <laughs> game in December. Um, Although every game right now feels pretty high stakes for the Mavericks. Right. So you know that in that situation, 
Popovich famously didn't have Tim Duncan on the floor. Mm. And um, I think it was Boris Diaw and Ginobili, if my memory oh. serves. But JK got could... JaVel McGee out there. Pretty similar decision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know our man Rob Perez, who was devastated, was furious that Isaiah that Tibbs didn't put in Isaiah Hartenstein. He was blaming it on that. But um, in that case, like I remember rewatching, uh, I think it was Ginobili and Boris Diaw, but rewatching it like time after time, and not understanding how the ball could have hit their two hands and come off and ended up in Bosch's mm-hmm. hand. I, I couldn't compute. If either Miles happened. McBride or Quentin Grimes doesn't go for that rebound, just one of them does, the game's yeah. over. Yeah. But they both did, and so they both popped it up in the air, and you know the rest. But is it, it also it had to come up in the air, and just so that Luca could get it and shoot it. And the thing about Luca that's amazing is that his mastery with his ability to just he he handles the ball like I would if I had like a five foot hoop and a mini ball, <laughs> you know, and so that you could just you know manipulate the ball and that nothing mattered like the way Luca just maneuvers around like he's probably never done anything like that but because he's got such a uh, any kind of crazy shot Luca's probably tried it at some point like a, a normal catch and shoot three is when Luca is the least comfortable but like let him go sit in the third row behind the basket and he's got a decent chance to hit that because he jacks around and takes those things on a regular basis and bets right. money on it and pads his salary <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he plays basketball like a soccer player with the ball. Like he just he does all these things. Like you said, Brian, like there was a play last night when he dribbled in the lane and looked like he was going to go up to shoot it and then kind of just turned his hand this way and popped mm-hmm. it out to Reggie Bullock for a three. And like the, there was nobody. Everybody on the Knicks was like, oh, this guy's going up for a layup. They all crashed on him. And he just kind of him and Jokic are similar that way. They do stuff with the yeah. ball where you just don't. Yes, you just Jokic can't looks like they're gonna he go has with. a. Loka, Jokic looks it's like he's polo. yes, yes. It looks like he's using a smaller ball than everybody else. <laughs> yeah, understand. and it's just that vision. I'm telling you, like I guess water polo is a huge sport in Serbia. I know he never played at a high level, but he has like he has that vision where he sees. It's like he's got eyes all around his head. He sees everything. He's you we know are going to talk about the, ball the Denver around. Nuggets in a minute. Yeah, Bontemps. That was the, that was the Mavericks' fourth straight win. Um. Get this for you know, a stat. In those four wins, post-halftime, Luca has rested a total of eight minutes and 13 seconds. And his uh, post-halftime averages in this four-game win streak, this is, I'm wiping out the first and second quarter. 25.5 points, eight rebounds, and five and a half assists. Post-halftime averages. He's got a 50-point performance where he hit the dagger to beat the Rockets. Played all 24 minutes of the second half. A couple games later, 60, 21, and 10. Look, if you want to fun police it, if you want to USWB it, Bon Temps, you're in soak wet blanket, then uh, you can say, is this sustainable? How could he possibly keep this up? <laughs> but it's insane to watch, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, the funny thing for me is I couldn't watch this game last night because I'm in Toronto, so I don't have access to anything. And they were, we were trying mm. to pull it up at the arena and couldn't. So I was just following along both on my phone on the play-by-play and watching Twitter and having people text me about it. But, I mean, my thought, it obviously, you know, I went and seen all the highlights. Luca was obviously unbelievable. My thought coming out of that game was just thinking about the Knicks. I mean, a week ago... The Knicks had won four games in a row. Life was great. They, you know, they'd won, I actually used to say they won eight games in a row. Life was great. They're up in like fifth place in the East. They're rolling along all, all good vibes in New York. And since then they give up 52 to Pascal Siakam and MSG uh-huh. and lose a close game. They have a horrific collapse against the bulls in the final minute where Jalen Brunson and Quentin Grimes both miss two free throws. They failed to get an offensive rebound. They give up a DeMar DeRozan bucket with a second to go lose that game. They lead pretty much the whole game against the Sixers on Sunday before they got out talented by Joel Embiid and James Harden at the end. And then they have this game in Dallas where, you know, RJ leaves with a, I got an alert on my phone that RJ left with a finger laceration. I was like, what is going on here? That was Mm -hmm. 30 seconds into the game or whatever. Miles McBride plays 46 minutes off the bench. 
Tibbs might as well just leave Evan Fournier and Cam Reddish at home. They're never oh going to play. <laughs> and there's a better they, chance of Kimball Walker playing for the Knicks again. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and like, but like you said, Brian, they're on the verge of what would have been a massive win right. on the road against Luca playing awesome. All this adversity against them. Julius Randle back home, like would have been a huge win for the Knicks. Instead, well, how about, yeah, it's, Instead, no, it's, just, it's, it's, it's just another absolutely gut wrenching loss. They've now lost four games in a row and all the knives are back out in New York again. After everything was great a week well, the ago, thing it's just about been the, a brutal the Knicks, week. They pretty much had all these teams in the whole league just dealing with injuries. The Knicks have basically not had injuries. So mm-hmm. right um, until yesterday, there are three guys, RJ Barrett, Jit, Jalen Brunson and Julius Randall have been healthy the entire season. Right. So it's a little bit adverse. The other thing I'm going to say is my evaluation of the Knicks is that they are a 500 team. Yeah. And I think that they will end up with like 41, 43, 39 <clears throat> wins. Mm-hmm. And so all roads, I think are good. That's my opinion of them. They, they make a giant midseason trade and trade for someone. I won't say who, because then I'll get aggregated, but then I'll reevaluate. But my, my opinion, they're going to end up like in that neighborhood. So it's weird to, to win eight and lose four or five, whatever it is now. But like, that's kind of who the Knicks are in my view. How about um, poor Quentin Grimes, who it's nice more just young the way player. they've lost. It's more just the way they've lost the game. I agree with You're you right. on. I agree yeah. with you on the, the stance of where they're at, but they've just had some they've had some brutal losses this year. But yeah, go ahead. I mean, yeah, you never want to be the one when there's a five digit number on the loss side. <laughs> yeah, um, but poor Quentin <laughs> Better Grimes, analysis. you know, n- nice young player um and you know, has the best game of his career shooting the balls, 33 points, you know, Open three after open three. Some of that was Luca's work, by the way. Um, anyways, <laughs> and, but he's the primary defender on Luca, and they never trap, they never like at some point get the ball out of his hands like everybody else does and make him play four on three. Anyway, but they were up nine in the last minute. I know like, that's I know, that's the thing. They so, <laughs> what they did worked, it worked. So they just they just completely you know right. lost the game at the last 30 seconds. So Quentin Grimes, again, after he has a 33-point game, best shooting night of his of his career, all people ask him about is, dude, like Luca lit you on fire. He said, I promise I was trying for sure. Trust me, it wasn't for lack of effort. Yeah, Luca's lighting everybody on fire these days. We have an earlier trivia question if we're if we're done oh, with okay. this section. All right. Go ahead. Let's do it. Can can we have a trivia question about which stats uh, Joel Embiid leads uh, Luke on? <laughs> wins. Does he actually uh, lead him on n- wins? Not 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 actually in games they participated in this season. But go on. Um, I know participation's a sensitive subject for Wendy. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore his seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. So last night, last night, Luca became the sixth player are the sixth youngest player to get to 8,000 points in his career. Who are the five guys that are ahead of him? So I saw this stat. Uh, I thought you might have seen it, but I looked in your story and I didn't see it. So I thought it would be. Well, I mean, there's a lot of stats in there. What are you? There are a lot of stats. Come on. Good Lord of mercy. No, I just, (laughs) I I just thought next time I'll send it north of the border and let you see. I just, I just thought. I just thought you might not have believe seen this guy, it Wendy. Billion Luca stats. I mean, thanks. I just, oh to, I was trying to find a, I was trying to find a Luca related trivia, and you didn't use this one, so I thought you might not have seen it amid all the uh, Luca trivia last night. Okay, so LeBron obviously is always in these things. 
Well, because uh, he got Mays. a head start. He got to start when he was 18. When you're talking about youngest, you have to. That's I believe you know. Mello's in there. Mello is in there. He's third. So LeBron, Tracy McGrady, Mello. There's five, you say? Yep. McGrady was kind of cheating because I did see this, but I don't remember it. Book is Booker one of those? Booker is not. Booker's not. He's 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 close. That would have been a good segue, but he is not. Yeah. Hmm. Other These guys. Questions. Kobe. Kobe's yeah. one. Kobe is Kobe. Uh, fourth. So we're missing we're second. One, uh, there's one other. There's one other player. Probably yeah. got to be another guy who came in when he was a teenager or came in when he was 18. Well, yeah, obviously. Mm-hmm. That would be correct. Uh, why am I? Why am I drawing a blank here? We're gonna feel really dumb because you are not active, feel dumb. right? He's a nope, active, active. Kevin Durant, one of the, one of the Kevin Durant oh, is the other one. There you go. Now there the go. the, the, the interesting thing is the guy the guy that Luca passed is actually a guy who did not come in as a teenager, who Will? is retired, not Will. Played same position though. Shaq. That would be that would be the guy. Shaq. Yeah. About twenty, about fifty days younger than Shaq. So you know, obviously the Wilt numbers are are ridiculous. Um, and I did I I did a little stat head search today on 60-20 games, 60 points, 20 rebounds. There's been 33 of them in NBA history. Was Will have 26? 28. Well, have 32? Oh, 28. I thought 28. I thought it might be 32. No, he had 28. Elgin Baylor had two. Yeah. George I remember Mike Elgin had Baylor. one. Shaq had one. And then Luca last night. And Wilt and had, had a one. yeah. Wilt had a 78.43 rebound performance in a loss. <laughs> he played that's 63 minutes in triple overtime. I mean, just the numbers are insane. Yeah. That's a game. All right. You mentioned Booker. Bad news today for the Phoenix Suns. It's been mm. a season of a lot of bad news for them, although we'll see about their new ownership. Um, Devin Booker out at least a month with a groin injury. Uh, missed First off, had a hamstring. Mm. Came back, then aggravated a groin. I don't know if it's related, but when you see two injuries come like that back to back, you are inclined to believe there's some relationship. And then he comes back on Christmas day, plays four minutes, re-aggravates the groin. And now he's out a month um, in and of itself. You're just a little bit, you know, Booker is a guy who doesn't, he is a guy who pushes to play fast, uh, wants yeah. to play. And, um, who knows? It might have cost him here. Uh, obviously, he wants to play in a Christmas Day game. Um, but the thing about a groin injury like this, I know from just covering folks, especially when you re-aggravate it, it just becomes such a thing that has the potential to linger for so long. We remember this mm-hmm. with LeBron uh, when he first got to the Lakers. It basically bothered him the rest of the season. So my guess here is that the Suns are like, look, we don't even want you to even think about it for a month. We're not even going to talk about it for a month, regardless of where it might be. Um, it's a blow for them because by the way, they just had, well, I think it's terrific- going to be located like at the top of his leg, the groin. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a blow for them. Right after they the had comments. a really good win over Memphis, um, on Tuesday night. Um, yeah. oh, they played, they just played a great team, high energy game. Um, well, got a little payback game. Yeah. After Memphis, uh, strutted on them, whipping them by 25. Uh, and after they had a hell of a performance, after they had a hell of a performance Sunday night, another great game against Denver, we lost and lost that one in overtime too, on the road. So, yeah, they did so well. obviously, uh, Cam Johnson is out, still out, coming back from knee surgery. Um, uh, campaigns Jay Crowder had remains issues. In, invisible. Yeah. So, look, I mean, the the benefit that they have is that the the West is jammed up together, like. If they play okay basketball, uh, but you got to figure that Chris Paul is going to miss some more games with injury. I just, uh, yeah, and, and I would say you say that's the benefit. I would say that's also the jeopardy. It's like, dude, yep, you know they're they're sitting in fifth place. They're only a game and a half above uh, above ninth. Like I think yeah, they're, no, but they don't have to, they, they, don't have, they don't have to play six hundred basketball to stay in the playoff race. Is my point. Well, yeah. they're three. They're three and a half. They're three and a half games. Ahead of eleventh, where Minnesota mm-hmm. is, and they've got they got a brutal yeah. schedule ahead of them. 
Yeah, I will I mean, say this. Minnesota obviously is scuffling and, and Towns is out for a while longer. You know, Golden State's in 10th. Golden State, despite also just kicking the Grizzlies' ass and letting them know all about it. Uh, Golden State's obviously in for a, a, a tough go here for at least the next couple of weeks without Steph. So you've got that. But go on, Bontemps. Well, no, just that this is their upcoming schedule. They're on a they're on a road trip right now. They got Washington. That'll be last night by the time this post. Then they're in Toronto. They're in New York. They're in Cleveland. None of those are easy. Then they come mm-hmm. home. They play Miami, Cleveland. Then they play Golden State, Denver, Minnesota, Memphis, Brooklyn. Like that's that's a tough stretch of games. And that's before you get into games against Memphis, Dallas, Toronto again at the end of the month. Like that. Yeah. They're not a lot of gimmies there for a team that's got a lot of injuries. So yeah, like they don't yeah. they don't have to play 700 ball to stick with the teams in the West, but if they they have a bad month, they, they could be fighting for 10th. I was going to say but if they play 300 ball, then it's problematic yeah. and they're they're 2 and 5 without Booker this season. Um, you know, if you want to throw in the Denver loss, that would be 2 and 6. Uh now uh, to your point, hey, you got to throw more on Chris Paul when you're trying to go in the other direction there. Right. I mean, at some point, you've got to make a deal with Jay Crowder just to get bodies, just to get rotation players. Well, a few player. things on the on the Jay Crowder front. Number one, the Suns have a very high standard when it comes to doing transactions. They have had very good transactions under James Jones, but trades, not, not high standard in the draft, just trades. <laughs> Yeah, they've had some wins in the draft, but they've had some losses, but that's true. Um, Dwayne Washington has been a good draft pick for them, the guy they drafted this year. So, um, anyway. Washington wasn't a draft pick there, Chief. (laughs) Wasn't a draft pick, but go on. Sorry, I did not mean to derail. I just meant to take a little little jab. I thought he was a draft pick. I'm sorry. No, he was not. I was just I was just poking a little bit. My bad. Go on, Wendy. High tra- anyway. high standard for transactions. Anyway, it's hard. It's it's challenging to do trade business with the Suns. Teams will tell you that that mm-hmm. they are. You know, there's some teams where you see them make a lot of trade transactions. The Suns are not one of them, and that's play that with Jay Crowder now. On the Jay Crowder front, one of the issues is that there isn't a straight-up trade the Suns have liked for him, so they've tried to do these three-team trades. Mm -hmm. You'll always hear me say that the three-team trade's a no-team trade. Obviously, they happen, but for every one that happens, 500 died on the table. Um, So um, it's just, it. you know, they may have to lower their standard. The other thing is, is that, you know, Jay Crowder is a older player who wants a contract and you know some teams are nervous about that so that's you know been a you know an an, an impediment as well so yeah i love jay i like him a lot i just don't understand how he thinks this is helping increase his value as an upcoming free agent Uh, i i think everybody i think everybody's at fault here because i'm sorry if you're the sons i i have not understood their stance from the beginning on this and this goes along with what they did with deandre ayton where whether it's monty williams or james jones or the group together they they have not done in my opinion a very good job of mending fences in situations like this like they needed to go to jay crowder in the summer if they were going to do this thing where they were going to have cam johnson start you got to go sit him down and say, listen, man, we know you're not happy about this. We get that. If you want to try to get somewhere else, that's fine. We'll work with you on it. But we need to have you on the court. You need to be part of what we're doing. And let's go win a championship. If you do that, you're mm-hmm. going to get paid, whether it's by us or somebody else. Like you got to go do that work and get that guy on the court. Somehow, some way, you got to find a way to do it. Same thing with DeAndre Ayton. We saw the stuff come back up the other day him getting into it with Mikhail Bridges and with Monty Williams again. And like, that goes back to the summer. They basically just said, ah, whatever. We'll deal in with this guy later. That, like, you know, they've been, Aiden is getting, getting yelled at for five years. I, I understand. I understand. But and, and, and Bridges is, did publicly take the blame on that. And he basically said, Hey, I was out of line. I, I get it. I'm, I mean, look, I, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's all, it's but all, you're right. They did not handle the Aiden situation. It was not, Smoothed over by the time training camp started. It's just been a lot of bad vibes. There's been a lot of bad vibes. 
Well, it's just a lot of it's just a lot of like basically saying like whatever. We're not going to worry. We're not going to deal with this. And like, so it, here's I just don't thing. understand how I, you're going to get through the through the through a season like this where you're just repeatedly doing the same thing over and over again in these types of situations. My perception, having been around the Suns a little bit, almost more than any other team in the last couple of years, that team has got a lot of reps together. Those core guys have a lot of reps together, and so they have over. There's like a laundry list of things that they've overcome. And so they are a little bit more prone to bickering because they know they can get over it. But also Monty Williams style, while he does have a very well-respected leadership style where he can put his arm around a player. There's also times where Monty can just kind of be stubborn and be like, this is how I'm handling. I don't care what I'm trying to be diplomatic here. And also James Jones, the way he operates (laughs) As a, just as an executive, he can be very stubborn. Like they mm-hmm. get on their position and they stick to it. Yeah, that's what happened with the Andre Ayton in um yep. the in in that negotiations. That's what happened with um you know the negotiations that they had with Cameron Johnson that they just didn't yep. get a deal yep. done. That's and right. it's happened with the Jay Crowder trade negotiations. And like even the trade, the biggest trade that he made was the Chris Paul trade. Yep, that took a month plus of negotiating with the thunder. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was the off season. It hadn't gotten public. It got public right at the end. They, you know, and that was a trade that was a grand slam for the Suns, and the thunder were very happy with it. um, Considering where they were. And that, that took a month. So the Suns have a lot of victories in their, in their win column, but they're a a little bit stubborn the way they, they do business. So no question. um, And that, and I certainly agree. Like they've had a ton of success. There's no question. This group's had a ton of success across the board, but like to McMahon's point, they've been playing this whole season already down a core rotation guy and their bench already wasn't good enough last year. And so now you've subtracted Jay Crowder from the situation. You haven't replaced him. You're now two and a half months into the season. You've got an old team already led by Chris Paul, but a bunch of older guys that have played a ton of minutes in recent years um, that you're leaning on, you know, Devin Booker, like you said, has played through a ton of injuries. Bobby Marks tweeted out earlier. He's not an older player, but he's had, I think four or five, either hamstring or, you know, muscle type injuries in the past year and a half. Like you, you probably need to have some more depth to give him some more time off, even if he doesn't want it. And they just kind of keep doing the same thing and running into the same wall over and over again. I just, I'm not sure where that's going to get them in the long term. Well, they, they have, you know, they have Crowder, they have all their draft picks, you know, they have the ammunition to do something. Now their acting governor, Sam Garvin, who's in this weird spot. He was already in a weird spot when he took over for Robert Sarver. And now he's in a super weird spot because technically he's has to make decisions, but now the team is in the process of a sale he gave an interview before the sale was announced to the Arizona Republic, where he said that it was James Jones's call and his decision on paying Jay Crowder and just letting him stay home. Um, That was obviously Crowder's desire, but he, right. He wanted to make it clear that that wasn't an ownership thing. So, you know, I don't know what that's worth, but I, I will say like it having covered teams that are in the middle of a sales process, and also having some, my, you know, sort of toe in the water about the situation in Phoenix. It's a challenging mm-hmm. time right now. Uh, especially when you're not sure what the new boss is going to want to do. You're not sure who the new boss is going to want to bring in. And it's hard enough for the Suns to finish a negotiation in normal times. It's extremely hard for them to also maybe run it through, um, you know, an acting governor who's not supposed to have communication with Sarver. I don't know. And then the new ownership. Um, I don't know, man. It's uh it's, it's a challenge. Uh, the other hard decision part the is it to- I was just going to mm-hmm. say the other hard part from the beginning has always been that with a Jay Crowder trade, they're trying to trade him and get back guys that can help him win. And the teams right. that are trading for him are trying to they add to wings. the that's well, right. no, but I'm it's saying the teams that want Jay Crowder are good teams and aren't going to be like, yeah, we'll give you another good wing player for Jay Crowder. Yeah. Like that, normally a guy like that's available, like, hey, you can trade him for a pick. Like the 
Suns aren't looking for picks. Yeah, we've also heard, uh, you know, possibly, you know, Dario Saric, you know, he's also on an expiring contract to yeah. be available. All right, <clears throat> we'll monitor the Suns. Um, <clears throat> now the Nets M- play... might want to fill their uh, 15th roster spot that's been open all season at some point, too. I don't know whose decision that is. Well, there's not... It's one of the things that you hear about when coming out of the G League showcase with all the two-way guys yeah. that exist in the league. There's just not... You know, there's not a, a plethora of available rotation players. There's hey, Chris probably, Paul's got Car- probably, Chris Paul's got Carmelo's number. Yeah, <laughs> there's probably somebody they could find though to fill that spot and play some minutes right now when they're down 17 guys. Is there a right. former Michigan State guy who's who's <laughs> available? <laughs> Look around. Um, I want to discuss the Brooklyn Nets and they're playing against the Hawks uh, tonight, Wednesday night. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, in that game, so let's acknowledge that. Uh, the way this pod goes, will probably <laughs> here comes the throttled. windy curse, <laughs> even though the <laughs> Hawks are the Hawks are banged up right now and just got hammered by the Pacers last night. Um, so the uh, on November 25th, the Nets lost to fall to nine and 11. Since that time to the recording of this pod, they've played <clears throat> 14 games, of which they have won 13 of them. That seems and, pretty good. Uh, yeah, I want to go over <laughs> like that. some some things that have been happening in this stretch. This is the type of basketball that <clears throat> we envisioned with the Nets when Durant and Kyrie got together, and certainly when they got Harden, and mm-hmm. you know for a while showed off one of the best offensive attacks that we've seen in the modern time. Um, so they're number one in offense in the last fourteen games, which is you know, not stunning, but I want to go over, tell you some numbers, you know, that like mm-hmm. the Holy grail for offensive basketball is 50, 40, 90. There's only <laughs> been a few dozen players. I see where in, you're going uh, with this one in, in, uh, in the NBA history to do it. Well, in this stretch of 14 games, Durant is 61% overall, 45% mm-hmm. from three, mm-hmm. 95% from the line. And here's how close Kyrie is. Kyrie's mm-hmm. 50% from the field. I think 49 and change. I'm giving them a 49.8. Uh, 40% from three mm-hmm. and 89% from the line. So essentially they, are, they have three, <laughs> they have two 50, 40, 90 performers performing at the same time. Okay. Wendy, not Pretty only good. that their team during that stretch, 53 and change from the floor. 42.1 from three point range and 80.4 from the free throw line. So they're 53, 42, 80 as a team. Now, obviously, that's primarily because <laughs> you know the two guys you just pointed to who are averaging 31 points and 27 points per game during that stretch. Exactly. So let me go over two other things here. <clears throat> Number one, I want to talk about clutch play because nine times in this 14 game stretch, they've entered clutch time. Inside five minutes, inside five points. They've come out of those with eight wins, eight and one going into clutch time. In the clutch as a team, they are shooting 62% in clutch time, 46% on threes. Durant, 61% field goal percentage in clutch time in this stretch, 75% on threes. I'll say that again. 75% 75% on threes. We're not talking about two games. We're talking about over nine games. Okay. Kyrie clutch time, 55% in this stretch, 33% from the field. Now I'm going to jump in front of bond temps here because for the last two years, every time we've ever talked about the nets, whether they're doing well or poorly bond temps points to their defense. And he does that for a good reason because their defense has been the weight on their ankle. Steal my thunder, bro. It's been the urine-soaked wet blanket on their <laughs> championship hopes. I was going to praise their defense being better. All right. So the, so in this stretch, they're number 10 in defense. So top 10 defense. But this is what I want to point out. <clears throat> Nick Claxton, who has his limitations as a defender because of his slight build. In clutch time defense. And look, we're talking about nine games. We're not talking about 37 games. We're talking games. about a 20, a 24 minute sample to be clear. Okay. Not Still. everything, but not nothing. It's a whole half. 
Okay. <laughs> or He's, half of a whole. But it's in nine different games. <laughs> it wasn't on one night. Okay. Sure. Um, his defensive rating is 55. In other words, if it was projected over 100 possessions, they'd score, the other team would score 55 points. Now, I'll let you go, Bontemps. I just want to point out that this is an incredible stretch of basketball. And this is Durant and Kyrie, the dream level that mm-hmm. we've been looking at. There's no way they're going to continue to shoot the ball this way. There's no way they're going to continue to play this ball in the clutch. But we were all over this team for their deficiencies. And so now we have to pay attention to them when they're when it's coming together. Yeah. I mean, look, there's they've been they've been on a great stretch. And the biggest criticism, I, I wouldn't even say criticism, the biggest question you had about this Nets team was they were generally beating teams that aren't very good during this stretch. Right. That basically all were games against teams that are currently at or below 500. The exception to that was when they played the Celtics and they lost in fairly handy fashion at home at the beginning of December. But then they play Milwaukee on Friday. I was at that game. They played really well from start to finish, controlled that game. One going away against the Bucks. They go to Cleveland on Monday. Another good team control that game for basically the entire game. Win that game going away. And that really puts that question to bed for now. And yeah, I mean, the thing that stood out to me, I mean, look, like I said, I'm not saying the stuff about the 24 minutes to knock the nets in the clutch. I just think we talk a lot about clutch stats and it's about such a microscopic Mm -hmm. uh, sample size that I don't, it doesn't matter to me almost whether teams are good or bad in them because it's, you're talking about such a little. I, I mean, yes, in the aggregate, if you're winning all these games, yes, it matters. But if you're talking about 24 minutes over a 20-game sample or 15-game sample size, it's just a, a very small well, amount. To me, NBA playoff that, series are played over seven games. So, it, I mean, sure. My I, I'm point, not saying I'm ready to give Nick Laxon a max contract. I'm just saying, like, it's over nine nine different nights that they were in the clutch. Sure. I my The bigger thing I would take away from it is the first – whatever, 20 games of the season. Yeah, there were nine and 11. The first 20 games of the season, that's were 20th in defense. The mm-hmm. last 14 games, they're 10th in defense. If the Nets are 10th in defense going forward, they're going to be really damn good. Like that, that's the biggest question. The, the two questions they have are, can they be a top 10 defensive team? And how long could Kevin Durant go playing heavy minutes and never missing a game? The one game he missed <clears throat> was the game he sat out when they sat their whole team in Indiana sat their top mm-hmm. eight guys and won the game. Anyway, it was a really, you know, talk to people around the nets. That was a really galvanizing win for that team going to Indiana back to back winning that game. And, you know, they've, they've gone on a huge run since then. And by the way, Jock Vaughn deserves a lot of credit too. Like you look at yeah. what's happened with this team, you know, he took over as coach and early on, there was a game where Kyrie wasn't, you know, was kind of freelancing on a play. Jock Vaughn immediately called timeout was like, we're not going to do that. We're going to run our stuff. And like, you look at the way this team has turned their season around. He deserves a lot of credit because this, this team does not resemble the team. They were early on when they were flailing around, getting blown out, looking, I also think Kyrie is absolutely without question, purposely on his best behavior. Sure. Uh, And he's, and he's also been available and healthy. Look, set aside the controversy from earlier this year, this goes back to the summer from the moment that guy opted into his final year of his deal. He has been available and showing up for games and healthy and not, you know, not missing games for nagging injuries. Like he clearly sees that he's got to be on the court and produce to get paid. And so he's doing that. And if him and Kevin are on the court healthy and playing, their offense is going to be really good. And if their defense could stay where it's been for the last three weeks or four weeks, you know, they've got every reason to be one of the elite teams in the East, which you know, certainly not what I think any of us expected to be saying after the way things started out over the first month. Well, and then if they continue to be one of the elite teams in the East, it sets up, it's going to be an interesting summer regardless, but <laughs> you know, if this is, if this is the way the Nets play for the rest of the season, they make a deep playoff run. How can you not keep Kyrie? Well, that's a that's a whole other debate. The other thing too <laughs> yeah. is the other the other thing how can too you is not, like how can you not keep Kyrie and convince KD that it makes any sense in the world? 
Well, and the other, the other thing that, you know, our conversation about the straw poll got aggregated a little bit in the wrong way. When we talked about Durant, you don't say, yeah, yeah. I didn't, what I, what I said at the time was because of the combination of um, where the nets, I thought were going to be in the standings and the fact that narratively, I thought Durant was going to have some headwind against them based off what's going on with the nets. I didn't think he had much of a chance of winning. Now, if the nets finish with the best record in the Eastern conference and Kevin is healthy the rest of the year playing like this, He's going to be right in the mix on the MVP race, just like these other guys are. So, by the way, they, know, uh, the 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 uh, some of the gambling sites. KD is now number five in the odds at plus one thousand, right above Embiid. I haven't compared their stats side by side. Perhaps somebody could do that for us on <laughs> on social media. Um, but Luca is is once again the favorite after last night. Obviously, this is a reaction to last night. Uh, so the in order: Luca, Tatum, Jokic, who. <laughs> Is absolutely incredible. It was also uh, Giannis, first after KD Sunday and too, and and Jokic yeah. was first after Sunday. I mean, this is the way it's going to be for a while. But my point is, like Durant, if if the Nets are going to keep doing this, and they're going to be you know, a top two or three seed in the East, which they're I think a game out now of first, like he's going to be right in the mix for that too. I certainly did not think that the Nets are going to be able to turn things around like this. But those two games against Milwaukee and Cleveland were really impressive. And that was, like mm-hmm. I said, the one lingering question for me was what were they going to do against higher level competition? And those were two of the more impressive wins, you know, in the last couple of weeks around the league. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm impressed with what they've been able to do. It's, it's a hell no, of a the, turnaround. The Nets are playing as well as anybody in the league right now. And it's really remarkable how they've been able to overcome the presence of Nick Fidel and go on this <laughs> kind of a run. <laughs> I'm just glad that Nick's, uh, you know, out of the out of the drama for at least a few weeks. Um, <laughs> okay, don't put the windy curse on that. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, before we go, I would like to speak about one of the hottest teams in the league that uh, we never talk about. It's partially my fault. Part of it is the nature of things that we can't control. And that is the Western Conference leading, at least as the time of this pod, mm-hmm. Denver Nuggets. Who have it's won all your fault because this is the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst. <laughs> so don't partially your fault, nothing. Well, part, yeah, okay, you're right. Uh, it's your fault. Partially is, you know, they're not, uh, in a high volume uh, market, um, they've won eight out of ten, eight a uh, five in a row. Uh, Jokic is absolutely having a brilliant season, and with his, pains you to say that it does not. I voted for him for uh, <laughs> for MVP that. two years ago. I don't know if you heard. Uh, he is now up to nine and a half assists per game. As we keep an eye on the possibility of him averaging a triple double. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you watch him play, uh, what you see, you know, the other thing is, this is one thing that, you know, he's, he's always shot the ball at a high efficiency from the field, but he is shooting 62% this year. And he, it has almost become a math problem now when you watch him play. Teams, you can see teams struggle. Should we double team him or not? Um, because when he gets the ball in the mid post and he, he has, is a array of different things that he can do. I mean, he is shooting 
on shots in the in the in the from the from the you know mid range, he is shooting sixty five percent. And when you get down inside around the basket, he's shooting almost seventy five percent. So the natural thing is, my God, we can't let this guy pick us apart. We got to send a double team. But then he just destroys you because you can't. It's like you can't double team him. Yep, he's too good. Uh, but here's what I want to talk about with the Nuggets. The Nuggets, and I know the Bontemps is about to attack me here. Um, the Nuggets are the number one clutch defensive team in the league. Number one. But overall, defensively, number like 20, 20, 20 23. Right. And not only that, yeah. but they've been bad defensively generally for five years, you know, for as long as I can remember. Um, actually, that's not true. That's not true. They, they, they got, they improved last year. They were better last year, mm-hmm. um, but they have had periods of really poor defense. Um, and yet when it matters in clutch situations, um, they're awesome. And you look at their guy, you know, you look at the, the prime lineup that they put out there when they need to basically get stops at the end of games. Um, which is basically Jokic, Aaron Gordon, uh, Bruce Brown, and Contavious Caldwell-Pope, depending on who has been healthy. You know, obviously sometimes you're going to have Jamal Murray in there. Um, they've had Bones Highland in there, depending on who's healthy. But that has been the core group. And they get stops in the clutch. And they have a guy who is a devastating half-court offensive player. Um, now, they have some bad losses this year. You know, um, you want to know who the second best defensive team in clutch time is this year, by the way? Oh, USWB. Who Prob- is it? Probably Brooklyn. No, it's the Houston Rockets. Well, they're never across in seven. Across, clearly, clearly they've actually good. they've actually been in 17 clutch games and they played six less clutch minutes than Denver has this year. So Ooh, and just, he's taken. Some I'm just shots. I'm this just is, pointing. This is, so are you this saying, is, so are you saying that the team that's got the best record in the Western Conference, albeit narrowly, them who has a suspect defense, them able to defend in the clutch is not a relevant thing to bring up. I think it's a lot more relevant that they're 23rd in defense. That that's what I would I, say. Yeah, I, I I will say if there are exceptions, but typically the net rating, the point differential, those things are much better indicators of uh you know playoff success than clutch dominance. Now sometimes Teams have both of those things in their favor, but it's obviously uh, not a bad. It's obviously not a, no, bad, it's not a thing bad thing to have a good, a good, good numbers at, in clutch moments at the end of games. I'm not saying it's bad, but I, I, to me, I'm, I'm a little more focused on the fact that over the course of the season, they've been a bad defensive team, and I think Denver's going to have the best record in the West. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. They still mm-hmm. have played. I think only Portland has played less home games than them. They're, I believe, first now in the Doug Moe reverse standings, which we've talked about before. I think they're ahead of Boston, um, and they've, I think they're it, over the course of the season. And they're going to win a ton of home games. But as far as looking at them as a championship contending team, I just I worry about their defense. I think their defense has to be better. Um, so I... I am more concerned about that than encouraged by what they're doing. No, I, I agree with you. I, I think if you're going to say, say something about the nuggets, it's their defense. And I'm just saying, it's interesting that they are, that they can get stops in the clutch. They have, and by the way, Michael stops. Porter jr. There are definitely times when he has not played in the clutch and obviously he missed a stretch of games. Um, small sample size theater though. They are plus 30 and 31 clutch minutes with him on the floor. He will that only bolsters bond temps point. Well, yeah, he was even getting, even yeah. with yeah, he was getting hunted in that game Sunday. Uh, yeah, by Chris Paul. and I do think you come know. come playoff time, especially I I I'm pretty sure Michael Malone's going to lean into going with Bruce Brown, putting his best defensive lineup out there. But you know, well, and that was I the say, interesting they, thing to, to what you said, Brian. When you talk about those clutch lineups, that that to me is the fascinating question with Denver because you didn't say Michael Porter Jr. Right? You said Jokic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aaron Gordon. Well, he's KCP, just been hurt so much. Bruce he's, Brown. He's, he's, I, I understand. But my point is he's he's on a max contract. You would assume Michael Porter Jr. is going to be out there. But to me, if you're looking at their team, you could make a decent argument that if you're in the last five minutes of a game, you'd rather have Aaron Gordon, KCP and Bruce Brown out there 
with Jokic and Jamal Murray than having Michael Porter Jr. out there. And that's going to be a real rub question for Michael Malone. Like, what is what is the yeah. choice is going to be in those moments? What are the choices going to be in those moments? Because, you know, if you have him just getting targeted at the other end, if you have those three guys out there spacing the floor for a, a Murray Jokic pick and roll, your offense is probably going to be pretty good. So it really becomes, what do you do with the other end? I, that's a that's just a fascinating question with that team. What did, what did they sign Bruce Brown for? One year for the tax MLE. God. Great signing. He would still be a good fit on the Nets. I did not understand why the Nets didn't keep him. That was bizarre to me. Well, he's a flawed player, obviously. His offense is not a great shooter. But like you have him on a team like this with Jokic, with his ability to to cut. He's a perfect fit in Denver. He can defend so many different positions. You know, and and he's, you know, so, I mean, the thing is they elected – they signed Claxton, who's playing well for two years and 20. They re-signed Patty Mills. And they just had to draw the line somewhere, I guess. Also, you say um, he's not a great shooter. He's not a high-volume shooter, but he's 39.8% from three my, on the yes. highest volume of his career. He's 40.4% on, on very low volume, admittedly, last year. Well, you know, I say not a great shooter, to your point. I mean, he's not a guy that defenses are going to respect from three. He's become yeah. better and shown the ability to hit those shots, but he's not a guy teams are flying out to contest they'll live with him shooting those shots yeah and they, he can also well, people in denver will tell you pick and roll where he's the role man with Jokic and make plays yep. out of the role yeah he's a perfect I, I mean i said the moment they signed him this summer i'd love the fit there it's a great fit he was a really good fit in brooklyn he just has to be on a team that could take advantage of his skill set and not sacrifice at the other end which is i mean look you talk about the end of playoff games like you said mcmahon i think you'd make a really good argument Bruce Brown is going to win them more playoff games than Michael Porter Jr., which opens up a lot of questions about Michael Porter Jr. Well, people in Denver will tell you that Porter has improved incrementally defensively. Well, and what they'll also tell you is that, hey, he is trying. He wants to get it right there. He's not just, you know, mailing it in on that in the floor, which yeah. is a, a significant improvement. Uh, when Ultimately, they it comes Dallas, down to can no. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, Michael Malone really raved about his buy-in, and he, of course, he said, "Hey, he's never going to be Scottie Pippen, but you know, he's <laughs> making multiple efforts. You know, he's diving on the floor. He's he's trying to you know really paying attention to game plan well, and stuff. So what they would love for him to do is just act six foot ten. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, you know, cha- you know, challenge shots. You know, get in a defensive stance." you know, make it somewhat hard to get around you. So, cause you know, you got long arms so that you're the people can behind you just act six ten, is what they would love for him to do. Um, but well, and the ultimate question there too, is just, are you going to ultimately be able to get where you want to go? If you have him and Jokic out there in high leverage playoff games at that end of the court, like, well, well I'm but- just saying to you, you can shoot holes in it all you want. And you may be, be a billion percent correct in clutch time. They're defending better than anybody else. And Aaron Gordon has been absolutely he has awesome been awesome this year. He has been so, phenomenal. Yeah, so they have Aaron Gordon, they have Bruce Brown, and they have Contavious Caldwell Pope. That's what I'm saying. I I, Those are I three like guys. that group. I like that yes. group. Okay, and well, they have DeAndre Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> we got him in again. <laughs> I'm just pointing out guys they have on the roster. The bit the bit continues. It's great. Well, I just think we, it's just a really Bob interesting. Pettit? Is Bob Pettit? Does he? <laughs> did he have a? Just, did he have a sixty twenty game? <laughs> they're they're just in a really interesting spot because I I think they've got like I think they've got a great chance to win the West. They've got Jokic playing out of his mind. Jamal Murray is incrementally getting better. I think by the time we get to, to the playoffs, he'll look a lot better than he does today as he gets more of the rust off after missing so much time. But it you know it's just a defense question and. You know, again, if you've got Bruce Brown sitting there and you could put him in, have Michael Porter Jr. chilling on the bench, that might erase some of the defense questions, which, you know, right. you got a guy in a max. It's just usually not the conversation you're having. Speaking of the Nuggets and before we go, um, Mark Warkentine, who was an executive in the NBA for, I think, around 30 years, 25 years, passed away this last week. He worked for a number of teams, worked for the Blazers for a long time worked for the Cavs, worked for the Knicks, and he was a general manager of the Denver Nuggets and one executive of the year as the Denver Nuggets. 
an extremely influential person to me and so many other executives, um, known as Steiny to his friends. Um, not only that, but was basically Jerry Tarkanian's fixer, getting players. I, I was going to say that was the that was maybe the most memorable part the, of his the general manager of UNLV. <laughs> yeah, those he, guys got some great NIL deals. Oh my God, did he tell me some stories about UNLV? Um, and I want to tell you that probably four or five. He was a political junkie, and uh, after he, you know, he sort of got into the consultant phase of his career. He basically, he, anyway, I won't go into that. But he he told me so many stories that I cannot tell about what they did at UNLV to get players eligible. Um, <laughs> it involved police and the judicial system is all I'm going to say more than just buying guys off and might have involved congressmen at one by, point. By, by um, eligible, you meant <laughs> you meant allowed to leave. <laughs> yeah, like I definitely heard stories about judges and congressmen getting involved with helping UNLV players. I won't go into more than that. And he was a political junkie and I was trying to convince him to let me write a book about his experiences and change all the names. Mm. Um, and I even bought and sent him a, co- this is four or five years ago, a, a, a copy of the book primary colors, which was a book that was written about basically the bill Clinton campaign, 1992, but changed all the names. They later made it a movie. John Travolta played the Clinton character. And I just said, Mark, we'll change all the names. People won't know who you're talking about, but the stories are so unbelievable. Um, you know, he used to say one of the big things he learned in Vegas was that, uh, you know, c- you know, cash tells no stories. Um, he didn't say it that way. He said it in a more artfully way. You know, cash leaves no paper trail or something like that. But it was it was more artfully said than that. Um, God, I, I remember one time he was trying to find a player that the team he was working with was trying to sign, but they couldn't find him. This is like in the early two thousands when not everybody had a cell phone, they would answer, but they wanted to sign a player and they, he knew he was a big gambler. And so he, he went to the place where he gambled, which happened to be a golf course. And the way he found him was to go to all the golf courses in the guy's hometown and look for the car that he knew the college boosters at his college bought for him. <laughs> and he he found the guy the guy's car in the parking lot, got a car from the pro shop and just started driving around the course saying, Hey, have any of you guys seen a six foot eight guy on this golf course? And they go, Yeah, he's over on the 13th <laughs> hole. He found him. All right. Literally, that is the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg of the stories that Mark Warmantine had. He was also an incredibly he he worked with so many executives he handed me in 2005 a proposal for the play-in tournament it wasn't called the play-in tournament his was called make every game count so he was proposing that you know 15 years before it was implemented so anyway mark Warkentine. also a guy i didn't have the pleasure of getting to know him but certainly brian has known him for a long time but you you know anybody who's noticed over the past few days since he passed away there's been a ton of uh, acknowledgement of him from all across the basketball community. And everybody basically said he's an awesome guy who had awesome stories and, you know, kind of Brian's summed really him up, I think by starting that. to feel my mortality here, losing Paul Silas, who was a coach who taught me so much about the NBA game. And now Mark Warkentine, an executive who taught me a lot about, well, I wouldn't say he talked about the NBA game. He taught me about, the realities of the way the basketball <laughs> world works. Well, sounds like the NBA um, game to me. Yeah. Um, and a wonderful, wonderful man. Lived in Portland. Uh, his last, I don't know, he, last 10 years of his life. Um, always went to see him. He had this barbecue joint that he would go to. He would make me drive down to Lake Oswego. Who thinks of going to barbecue joint Lake Oswego? But he had some barbecue joint. <laughs> They like to go to, I would go meet him down there. He drove the same car when he was the general manager of the Denver Nuggets. Now the Nuggets aren't known for paying that highly, but you know, he did pretty well. He drove like a Toyota and he was still driving like 10 years later. Total, (laughs) total scout by nature. Um, Anyway, I've gone on too long, but 
Mark Workentine, you will be missed. And thank you to uh, for everything. His daughter, I believe, is involved in the basketball business. So I hope him and his family are doing okay. And my condolences. And thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective podcast. Hope your holiday season is going well. Thank you to Bon Temps. Thank you to McMahon. Thank you to Bruce and Jackson who are working for us during their holiday break or holiday time here. We will talk to you next week. We'll hopefully we'll be getting back to a regular schedule. 2023. Adios, amigos. You stepped on his adios, amigos, Bon Temps. Well, I was just saying, it's 2023. Big deal. <laughs> Thanks for pointing that out, Bon Temps. Thank you.